an exciting research project to bring about quieter supersonic aircraft is getting closer to the flight line. Today, we catch up on Quest. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. We last checked in on NASA's Quest mission, that's with two S's as in Quiet SST or Supersonic Transport, back in June 2021. One part of that mission is the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project, which involves a very special aircraft, the X-59, which will soon demonstrate a host of technologies aimed at reducing the perceived sound level from an aircraft flying faster than the speed of sound. But how soon will those flights begin? For an update, I'm joined today by Kathy Baum, Deputy Project Manager on the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project, and Lori Ozerowski, Project Manager for NASA's Commercial Supersonic Technology Project that's part of Quest. Lori, before we get into the details about the X-59, please tell us a bit about the goals of the Quest mission. So NASA really has two goals of the Quest mission. The first is to design and build a piloted large-scale supersonic X-plane, the X-59, with the technology that reduces the loudness of the sonic boom to that of a gentle thump. But really, the ultimate goal of the mission is to then fly the X-59 over select U.S. communities and collect data on human annoyance to these sonic thumps. We then plan to provide that data to the Federal Aviation Administration and ultimately ICAO, the uh, International Civil Aviation Organization. And then that data, we hope, could be used uh, to set future regulations for commercial supersonic aircraft operations over land and really help to open up a, a new market for supersonic passenger aircraft. Kathy, what are some of the design features of this very unique aircraft that's now taking shape? So the X-59 is designed specifically to control the strength and distribution of the shock waves coming off the bottom of the aircraft. So they don't merge and generate the standard, typical sonic boom, uh, loud noise that you would hear on the ground when an aircraft is flying supersonically. Through the design, we're shaping the signature of the X-59 on the ground. So some of the key design features uh, that help uh, shape this, this signature on the ground are the distinctive long nose. It's about 30 feet or one third the length of the aircraft. It's used to shape the forward shock and spread out the shock waves on the front part of the vehicle. There's also a T-tail at the top of the vertical tail that's used to tailor the shock waves that are coming off the aft end of the vehicle. The engine and the environmental control system intakes and exhaust are above the wing, and that's to minimize their contributions to the shock waves. The engine exhaust is also shaped or tailored using what we call an aft deck that kind of shields the exhaust coming from the engine. And then we want the underside of the vehicle to be as clean or as smooth as possible. So we've even moved uh, all of the antenna to the top of the aircraft, and that helps minimize the shock waves. We can't completely eliminate the shock waves coming off the aircraft, but we're designing the X-59 so the shock waves that reach the ground are more of a thump or a rumble and at a level that'll blend into people's everyday lives. What's the latest on the project, Kathy, and when might we see the X-59 take its first flight? 
X-59 returned from Lockheed Martin Fort Worth on April 7th. It was in Fort Worth for structural loads testing and fuel calibration testing. Both of those tests went very well, and the data from the tests actually matches our analysis and predictions very well. So now that it's back in Palmdale, we're completing the subsystem integration and performing the subsystem checkouts. Uh, the landing gear have been installed. We're testing the hydraulic system. The engine is planned to be installed later this summer. And once we complete all the subsystem tests, we'll begin to do the integrated system tests, followed by taxi testing. And then we'll have our first flight uh, later this year. We'll have more in just a moment, but first, this word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, your podcast is ready everywhere. You can download it from iTunes, ask your smart speaker to give you a listen, or hear it in any car with Apple's CarPlay. NBAA Flight Plan, available anytime, anywhere. We're back now with Kathy Baum and Lori Ozerowski and our discussion about NASA's Quest mission, the Low Boom Flight Demonstrator Project, and the X-59 research aircraft, all aimed at lowering the sound and intensity of sonic booms that reach the ground. So, Lori, when is the official X-59 flight test program slated to begin under the current time frame? And can you tell us yet where the aircraft will be flying? Once the aircraft's Build is complete. They will go through a um, envelope expansion and airworthiness certification phase, which is expected to take six to nine months, roughly. Then we will spend another six to nine months where we'll be gathering airborne data and ground data to use to do a verification and validation of the aircraft and make sure that we completely understand the um, acoustic characteristics before we will then take it out and start our, our ultimate tests over communities. So the current plans include gathering data from say four to six tests around the country. And those tests are scheduled to start sometime in the second half of 2024. And we need to be complete with our community test by the end of calendar year 2026, if not a little bit uh, before that, in order to have time to um, take all the data that's been collected, do all of the analysis and pro- provide that data to the FAA. The, so we're targeting that to be early 2027. Why is it important to conduct these flights in different locations across the country? Within these four to six tests, we are looking at you know different regions in the U.S. to make sure that we, we gather data in different climates, marine, cold, humid, those sort of things. Um, We're also very focused on gathering data in rural areas and urban areas and areas in between. And population demographics are are a big part of it as well. So we are taking all of these requirements for that data into account while we're selecting our locations. And I don't think we'll be announcing all of them at one time because we are going to learn something from each of these tests we do. So we're going to have a prioritized list of the locations that we intend to go to, at least the regions we're going to, and the announcements will kind of come out in series as we complete other tests. There is a big push to open up a supersonic market. There's lots of companies that have expressed interest in that and and are working toward opening that market with with supersonic vehicles. But in order for regulators to um, make determinations on what a noise limit could be that that an aircraft would need to certify to, 
we really do need to, to gather data that's really representative of the public. You know, as you said, there's certain areas of the country that people do hear sonic booms at times if you live near an Air Force base. And so it's, it's important that we're gathering data from people who are unaccustomed to the sounds of supersonic flight. But I'm, again, we, we really hope that um, if we can show that there is a level that is acceptable to the general public for supersonic flight over land, I, I really do think that's a big step to opening up that supersonic market. Kathy, it seems to me that NASA is taking a very cautious and deliberate approach to this matter. We really do believe that for the future of supersonic commercial aircraft, you have to be able to fly over land and you have to be able to change the noise standards and be able to say an aircraft that has a signature of a level of a certain number, like what we're targeting 75 PLDB, that may be the level or could be another number around that that is acceptable to the public because the reason the standards were put in place was because of the disturbance to the public. So now we need the public to say that what you hear when the X-59 flies overhead supersonically is is not disturbing, it, that it, it fits in their everyday life and it's not a nuisance to them. Um, and that is key, I think, like Lori said, to open up the commercial supersonic market and to really get the most out of supersonic transports for the future. And speaking of that future, what might be the next steps after the Quest mission is complete? And how might these concepts seen on the X-59 demonstrator scale up to actual production aircraft? So X-59 is not a prototype aircraft that it's specifically designed to demonstrate this low thump on the ground and to test the response of the communities. Traditionally, in X-Plane, we're testing the technologies that might translate into the future aircraft. In this case, we're really testing the people's response to that thump. But some of the characteristics of the X-59, the long nose, some of the other tools and lessons we've learned in the development of the X-59 may translate into future commercial aircraft. Lori, your thoughts? Well, in order for a, a company to actually try to design and, and ultimately build a supersonic aircraft with a, with a low sonic thump for en route flight, it needs to have that level that it's got to certify to. So that's really why this is so important to anybody that's going to build one of these aircraft. They need that certification level. It's just like landing and takeoff noise. You know, I, that's another big area of challenges and, and interest in, in our research at, at NASA is uh, solving the, the landing and takeoff noise problem. We have to certify to a particular level. And without knowing what that level is, it's very difficult for, for someone to design an aircraft. So, you know, that's why just having a level, whether it's at 75, uh, as Kathy mentioned, or if it's at 80 or even 85, we don't know where that threshold is and where regulation may be established. And, and there's a big difference between what those aircraft would look like at those different loudness levels. 
again, this is a, a huge challenge and, you know, we're really trying to, to help industry and in establishing this acceptable level. And then, you know, there's a whole lot of other um, challenges that, that have to be solved to really open up this supersonic market and, and make it a practical and affordable for those of us in the traveling public to uh, be able to fly supersonically. Coming back to this thump, Kathy, how will the noise perceived on the ground from the X-59 compare to that from older supersonic designs like Concorde? And why is it important for NASA to pursue supersonic flight for civil aircraft? The Concorde's noise level was at like 100 PLDB, which is like nearby thunder, or maybe like being inside the car when the doors slammed. What we're targeting for LBFD with like this 75 PLDB comparatively would be like a car door being closed down the street, one of your neighbor's houses down the street, or like a rumble of distant thunder. So much lower, something that you, you don't even notice most of the time. The other aspect is how this will improve the ability of your listeners to get to their meetings, to get to their uh, travel, you know, in about half the time. And that opens up further distances for one day face-to-face meetings. Technology is great. We've all seen that during the past couple of years that we've had all these virtual meetings, but the face-to-face business meetings, there's nothing that improves <laughs> proves business better. So this opens up the ability to do more of that and still, you know, make it home for dinner. We really are currently focused on addressing the challenges of quiet supersonic flight. We do recognize that um, there are other challenges that need to be overcome to make supersonic flight both environmentally friendly and affordable. And as Kathy mentioned, there's a strong desire to be able to travel faster. And we've, we've done that for a century. We're always pushing to, to fly faster. But it's just important that, that this is one of these things, this is one of the technologies, and, and there are other challenges out there. And NASA is also working um, in these other areas. You know, this just seemed to be a, a perfect opportunity for NASA to, to take on and, and try to, to gather this data that, you know, maybe a company wouldn't be doing. They, they're, they're spending their dollars in designing and, and building an aircraft. But, you know, NASA, it's a great place for us to be in, in working the certification side of, of the equation. You know, I really just hope that we are able to gather and provide this data and, and so we can really open up this market. Incidentally, we're coming up on the 75th anniversary of Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier for the first time in the Bell X-1 on October 14, 1947. So it seems fitting to have another X-plane for the 21st century nearing its first flight later this year in a quest to make supersonic air travel more accessible, at least from a technological standpoint. Learn more about the X-59 and NASA's Quest mission at nasa.gov forward slash quest. That's Q-U-E-S-S-T. And for the latest news about NBAA's own Emerging Technologies Committee, which was established to help drive such near-future technologies like supersonic flight and address their potential applications in business aviation, visit nbaa.org forward slash emerging tech. 
And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.